Everybody glad you're here. I thank God for you. Those joining us online, we love you guys. Thanks. You know, thanks for being engaged. Being engaged for your soul, everybody. Thanks for being engaged for the sake of our King. He is worthy. Yeah, and it's not just that he's so awesome. It's that he's so generous. Even now, he's longing to speak into our lives, to to offer us a fresh filling of his spirit, his peace, his hope, and his joy. He's just trying to break through into you. And uh, we're going to afford him that opportunity as we get into his uh, word. But I got to tell you, man, we are just six weeks away from Easter. Sounds crazy. It's going to be on us in no time. And we are planning a super celebration of our risen King Jesus over hell, death, and the grave. And um, today, I just wanted to tell you about one aspect. I mean, what we have planned, uh, we want to provide you with the greatest experience, um, uh, spiritual experience of Easter ever. Um, And I just want to tell you about one part today. I believe it's on March 10th, we are going to launch a new podcast. And people on staff, people from our church, will be reading through the four accounts of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So you tune into the podcast, and probably 10 or 15 minutes, you listen to the Word of God, beginning with Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, all the way through Matthew, all the way through Mark, all the way through Luke and John. You do that for the 30 days leading up to Easter. Now, faith Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. Now, some people, they like to listen to podcasts as they drive. That's cool. Listen while you drive. Or some people like to do it while they walk, and that's awesome. And maybe this time, though, you might want to think getting alone by yourself, grabbing your phone, your iPad, your device, whatever you use for your podcast, and open your Bible And as it is read for you, you read along the text. I cannot wait to see what kind of church we are after reading in 30 days, day after day, and listening day after day for 30 days to the life, the ministry, the miracles, the teachings, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So next weekend when you come, I'm going to give you all the info you need to know how to be engaged and plug into this spiritual experience. So please come back. I'm going to give you something, and I'm going to ask a commitment from you that you will say, yes, sometime every day for 30 days, I'm going to be in the Word of God. I'm going to be in the Gospels. Um, In fact, I'd like to pray over you right now about it, if you'd bow with me, please. Lord, we're all busy people. But we need your word like we need the air we breathe. We need your word like we need water. You are the water of life. And so get us ready, Lord. Get us ready to say yes. Yes to listening to your word and reading along all the way to Easter for 30 days. In Jesus' name, amen. And now, if you're here for the first time, man, we are delighted that God has brought you. Um, We're going through the book of Colossians, a little letter that Paul wrote to a church in Colossae. We call it Understanding Jesus. Um, I'm going to hit only two verses today, but I encourage you to grab one of our study guides as you go out. It'll take you through the rest of the text for each day this week, and you can go deeper. Also, you'll be given a prayer as you leave. A little card with a prayer on it based on the text to help you pray all week the word of God 
for your life. But before we get to the Jesus part, I had a few questions to ask you. Um, how many of you have heard the term power couples? Uh, a power couple uh, are, are people with great influence, great wealth, and great celebrity. Now, what comes to mind? Who comes to mind when you think of power couples? Maybe you think of Bill and Melinda Gates. They got lots of money. Give me some. Um, or maybe you think of Jay-Z and Beyonce. They got lots of celebrity, lots of influence. Or, or maybe you're more into royalty and you think of Prince William and Kate. Or you're more on team Prince Harry and Meghan. Now, could be that you flash back to power couples of the past like Jackie O and JFK or, or my wife's personal favorite, uh, James Taylor and Carly Simon. You've got a friend. Okay, that's about all I got. Um, you know, here's my final question. Have you ever fantasized about being a power couple. You know, having your faces splashed on the grocery store magazines as you check out. Or, or uh, having great wealth or great influence, great celebrity. Everybody knows your name. Have you ever fantasized about that? Friends, don't even go there. Power couples have a 67% higher divorce rate than regular folks like us. One marriage lasted 55 hours. That's two and a half days, and then they divorced. The Marriage Foundation did a recent study on why these celebrity power couples are crashing and burning. Why do their marriages implode? Why the skyrocketing divorce rate? And they found two negative dynamics at work in celebrity marriages, these power couples. One, too much ego and too little loyalty. And friends, that'll wreck any relationship, it may wreck a power couple relationship faster, but too much ego, that, that, that'll put any relationship on a death spiral. may take us longer for the marriage to die or the friendship to die, but too much ego will kill it. It just drags it down, just drowns it. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit about ego because if you get the ego taken care of, the loyalty thing takes care of itself. Ego is edging God out. You're so full of yourself, there's no room for the one true and living God in your thoughts, in your opinions, no room for God in your perspective, no room for God in your relationships, no room for God in your life. Here's what ego looks like in my life and yours. It looks like pride. When you think too much of yourself, like you're all that, and you make comparisons between yourself and other people, that you're smarter than they are. Or you think, hey, my car's nicer than yours, or my house, I, I dress nicer than you. Now, the ugly, evil twin of pride is arrogance. And it's like turning pride on its head. Arrogance is insecurity. It's when we think about ourselves too much. We just think about ourselves all the time. We can't go five minutes without thinking about ourselves. It's why we get our feelings hurt so easily. It's why we want to fight so readily. It's why we feel so disrespected. 
It's our insecurity brought on by our arrogance. Now, what if we could actually get over ourselves? What, what if we could outgrow our arrogance, our insecurity? What if we could trade in our pride for genuine humility? This is huge. Because though, you know, power couples, are, their marriages implode with too much ego, too little loyalty. Um, power couples may have star power, but Christ-centered relationships, Christ-centered marriages, Christ-centered friendships, Christ-centered couples, man, they got stained power. When Jesus is at the center of the friendship and both friends, man, that, it just keeps getting better and better. It goes on and on. When, when Jesus is, is at the center of, of the mom and dad and the children, he's at the center of the family. That family becomes enduring, a firm foundation upon which to build, and it grows until it's endearing. And maybe, not maybe, marriage is the deepest of all relationships. And so when it's a Christ-centered marriage or a Christ-centered dating, that love has staying power. So I'm going to take you into the Word of God. I'm about to make half of you very mad. But as you listen, understand that Paul is not giving us his opinion. He's incarcerated. He's in chains. He's writing this letter, and God is breathing on him. And under the breath of God, here's what Paul writes. Wives, submit. Okay, I said the S word at church. Wives, submit yourself to your own husbands as it is fit, as it is right in the Lord. Now, this is the King James Version of the Bible. It was written over 400 years ago. I, said, I shouldn't say written. It was translated from the original Greek in 1610. But it's biased. It was meant to reflect the teaching of the Church of England. Let me give you a more modern translation of this same text. Wives, adapt yourselves. Now, when I first saw that, I thought it said adopt. I was hoping my Debbie would adopt me. Um, <laughs> wives, adapt yourselves. Make the, make the essential inner adjustments. Make the uh, uh, essential outer calibrations so that you and your spouse are a good fit. But I want to tell you something. As we go through this, Though it says wives, it could easily say husbands. It could easily say friends. Maybe in the church in Colossae, there were some wives that were struggling in this regard. But these are universal truths for relationships that flourish. So wives, make the necessary adaptation yourselves to your husbands. Why? So that your marriage may be a Christian unity. Make the adjustment in the friendship so that the friendship will be a Christian union. Make the adjustment in your parenting so that you can have your hearts united in Christ with your children. Now, I'll be real with you. There are a number of modern translations that still use the S word, submit. But I wanted to know this week, I wanted to dig deeper. I wanted to understand what was Paul 
when he wrote the Greek text out under the breath of God, what did he want his readers to understand the very first time it was read? Because the first time the church in Colossae would get this, the pastor would stand up in front, he would hold the letter in his hands, and he would read this letter to his church. So what did Paul want them to hear? The Greek word he used that's translated often for submit is upatazo. And it means to voluntarily surrender and to cooperate. Let's start with the word cooperate first. Co-operate. Operate is work. Co is together. So we work together in a relationship. We work together not just with each other. We work together with each other and Jesus to grow each other and to grow the relationship. Apart from our intention... To grow, growth is not going to happen. But when we intend and strategize and plan to work together with Jesus and each other to grow the relationship, the relationship flourishes. It overcomes the hard times. It gets through the obstacles. It, it, It carries the difficulties and the burdens and the struggles together. And it gets to the other side of intimacy and genuine, mature adult love. But it requires working together with Jesus and each other to make it happen. Now, i tell you the truth. In whatever relationship you're in, friendship, dating, marriage, with your kids, you'll never work together with each other and Jesus unless there is surrender. You gotta surrender first. Once you surrender, then you're willing to work together. You gotta surrender your tendency to be controlling you got to surrender your tendency to demand your own way. you, you got to surrender your anger. Anger is the great destroyer of relationships. That's why, why it was so good of Jake. With, 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 within the morning, before uh, an hour or two elapsed, to repent of his anger, to confess to his son, to ask for forgiveness. So what does surrendered love look like? I mean, if I'm, if I'm not going to be angry, if I'm not going to demand my own way, if I'm not going to be controlling, how do I get what I want? Here's what surrendered love looks like. Here's how surrendered love works. Surrendered love is patient. Surrendered love is kind. It, it is not jealous. It does not boast. It is not proud. Surrendered love is not rude. And if you find yourself being impatient or unkind or rude, you can figure out that you haven't surrendered. You're still trying to be the big, arrogant, prideful ego. Surrendered love is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong, forgives and forgets. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. Surrendered love always protects always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Surrendered love never fails. It will never fail you. When you surrender to another, why do we hold back? Why why are we afraid to surrender? Arrogance, pride, ego, all of that fails. And the friendship will fail. And the marriage will fail. And the parenting will fail. But surrendered love never fails. Fails. Now this text, again, you could just as easily insert husband instead of wife or friend because this is a universal, eternal principle 
of love that works. Surrendered love working together. It is not. This is the most abused, misused, taken out of context uh, in Scripture in all the Bible. Because there have been dysfunctional, toxic, abusive men who have shouted and pointed at their wives. The Bible says you're supposed to submit to me. That's when you run like heck as far as you can, as fast as you can. Here's what the word of God says. If you want it in context, the word of God says, hey, if you're believers, when you were baptized, it was as though you put on Christ. In the same way you put on new clothes. Faith in Christ Jesus makes you equal with each other, whether you are a man or a woman. We are equal in every way. You may have strengths that I need for my weaknesses, and you may have weaknesses that you need for my strengths, and as we adapt to each other, we become whole people. I can't be whole without you. You can't be whole without me. And then Paul shifts gears, and he shifts the spotlight to the husbands in this church. Again, the term, it could be friends, it could say wives, but here's what he writes. Husbands, be sure you give your wives much love and sympathy. Don't let bitterness and resentment spoil your marriage. Now, if you've been around church very long, you likely know that the Greek word, Paul used there for much love is agape. And agape means tender, much tender love. It means unconditional, much unconditional love. And it means sacrificial, much sacrificial love. Here's another way Paul wrote it in, to the church in Ephesus. Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives. It could easily say, wives, go all out in your love for your husbands. Friends, go all out in your love for your friends. Exactly as Christ did for the church. A love marked by giving, not getting. Christ's love makes the church whole. He's got the strength. We've got the weakness. His love makes us whole. His words evoke her beauty. My Debbie was walking through the living room just as I was practicing this part of my sermon. And I said, hey, Deb, my love is to evoke your beauty. She said, you got a ways to go on that one. <laughs> everything he does, everything he does, everything he does and everything he says is designed to bring out the best in her. That's agape love. Everything he does in tenderness, everything he does unconditionally and sacrificially, meant to bring out the best in the friend, in the spouse, in the child. Everything he says, everything. And it has to be intentional. You gotta think about it. You gotta plan for it. Because if there is no plan, then the, then the relationship just shrivels away to nothing. So let me... Let me explain about these three dynamics. Tender love always forgives and seeks forgiveness. Uh, that was Jake and David. Jake sought forgiveness and David forgave. Jake mentioned in his talk that that David gave him grace and that healed Jake, but it also healed David. Every time you give grace to another person, it heals you. It strengthens you. 
You walk away better from the circumstance, a stronger, more mature, more Christ-like person. Um, Whatever kind of relationship you're in, friendship, marriage, parenting, whatever the relationship, the people with whom you are in relationship, they are imperfect. And you are imperfect. Um, the, The people that you have a relationship with, they will fail you. Sooner or later, they will fail you. And, and you will fail them. The, the, the people that you're in a relationship with, that they are deeply flawed. And, and you are deeply flawed. Because of your flaws and your failures and your imperfections, you need the grace of God. In fact, Scripture says that when Jesus was dying in your place for your sins on the cross, he was taking all your ugly, evil imperfections. Evil imperfections. That's me. That's you. It's not just, ah, I'm not perfect. No one's perfect. No. We all have ugly, evil imperfections. Our flaws our failures, and Jesus takes them on himself. And when you believe that Jesus is God who died on the cross for your sins in your place as your substitute and God raised him from the dead, he takes your ugly, evil imperfections on himself and he imputes to you the glory and beauty of his perfection. That's how he sees you. That's your new identity. You bear the glorious beauty of the perfection of Christ. And it's all grace. It is undeserved. You can't earn it. You can't be good enough to make it happen. Um, let's just talk about marriage a second because it is, it's the deepest of relationships. In, if you get married, um, you will be terribly wronged. So tender love decides ahead of time that you will forgive. And... and In a marriage, if you get married, you will do terrible wrong. So you decide ahead of time to seek forgiveness. In in a marriage, you will be deeply hurt. So you decide ahead of time to do tender forgiveness. In a marriage, you will do great hurt to the other person. So you decide ahead of time to seek forgiveness. Tender love seeks forgiveness over anything and forgives everything. When Christ is at the center of your life, you love with his tender love. But remember, it's also unconditional love. And love, unconditional love always gives grace. We, we all need the grace because we're all gross. We all do the worst possible thing at the worst possible time. We all say the worst possible thing. At the, and while we're saying it, we know it's going to hurt them. That's why we say it. We want we to punish them. Maybe we're hurt and we want to hurt them just as bad as we feel and more. 
As soon as we do it, we know, oh, what was I thinking? As soon as it comes out of my, oh, I wish I could rewind and take that all back. Why did I do that? We need grace. You, you see, God is always, there is nothing that you have ever done that God does not cover with his superabounding grace. Even when you've done a lot bad and said a lot bad, God covers it all with more and more and more grace. So if that, that's how God has been to us, that's how we are with those we love. We shower them with grace. They wrong us. They fail us. They hurt us. We don't lash out. We don't withdraw. We show grace. That's love. And until you love like that, it's just pretending. It's not their fault. It's your sin that has separated you from God. And this pushed them away. When you want to lash out at them. You're lashing out at God. What they need is grace. When they fail you. When they hurt you. When they wrong you. Grace, grace, grace. Because you failed. You've done the wrong. You've hurt. And all you've received from God is grace. But finally... Um, you know you're getting love right when it's sacrificial. Um, when you plan ahead of time to pay a price. That there, you know there's going to be a cost and you're willing to pay a deep cost. The, the deeper the love, the greater the cost. I, I like to think of it this way. This helps me. Sacrificial love is giving to you, you, you love and so you give. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him would not die but have everlasting life. You, you plan, you strategize to give. To not remember the text, it's not about getting, it's about giving. And so even today, walk away thinking, well, you know, what can I give my friend? What can I give my child? What can I give my spouse? It's also giving up. We give to and we give up. And sometimes we got to figure out what, what, what do I want to give up in my life to make this love grow? What do I want to give up for God to make my love grow for him? What, what do I want to sacrifice in my life to provide for my friend or my child or my spouse? And then finally, maybe most importantly, sacrificial love, it's not just giving to and giving up, it's giving in. It's saying that um, getting my way is less important than, than getting your love. You, you see, you can't be in a tug of war. You can't be in a tug of war if you drop your end of the rope. Now, what I see in most relationships, they pick up the rope and they go slap the person with it. <laughs> there is nothing sadder than winning the argument and losing a friend. Nothing more devastating than winning the argument and alienating your children from you. Nothing more devastating than winning the argument and fracturing 
your family. Just let go of the rope. You don't have to win. Don't fight in the first place. If you're a fight starter, quit it. If you're ready to jump in and battle, call time out. You don't have to win. You can give in. And give in is not losing. Giving in is winning love. And there's no price you can place on winning love. Now I gotta tell you, there are two super important days in your married life. If we're talking about marriage, two super important days. The first important day in my married life, this happened. This was, this was taken last year. <laughs> How do you like those hairdos? Now, 1974, over 48 years ago, me and my Debbie. And um, that, if you're married, your wedding day, super important day in your married life. But what is the most important day in your married life is the day that you make Jesus the very center of your marriage. Amen. It took a long time for it to happen to Deb and I. It took decades. But once we decided together to make Jesus the very center of our marriage and everything revolves around him, our money revolves around him, our time, our work, our passions, our hobbies, everything revolves around our children, everything revolves around, it starts with Jesus. Jesus first and everything, that was a game changer for our marriage. Now my, my wife and I do mature adult love because Jesus matures and grows our love. I would, I would venture to say that most marriages in this room need to make that commitment. I'm going to guess that you've tied the knot, but your marriage has gotten all tied up in knots. The only way to unravel it is to make Jesus the center of your marriage. Um... I'm going to give you that opportunity today. Last night, the last service, uh, we did this. In fact, I'm going to just ask you all to stand with me right now. It's, it's not just, I mean, half of you are single. And I love and respect you guys. I value you in my life. But just as most marriages in the room are not Jesus-centered most single people in the room are not living Christ-centered lives. Something else is on the throne. It may be money. A young man came forward last night, a single guy. He said that sexual immorality was on the throne of his life, and he wanted it off and Jesus on the throne. I mean, it can be something good and great, like your children are on the throne of your life. It, it can be a drug. It can be alcohol. It can be money. It can be something good like a job. Or, or plans for this, that, or another thing. But whatever is on the throne of your life warps your life and damages your relationship. But when Jesus is on the throne of your life, you need Jesus on the throne of your life. I want Jesus to be the center of your marriage. And so I'm going to invite you to that. Just as people came forward in our previous services, I'm going to invite you to come forward. Okay. If you would like to have Jesus at the center of your marriage, I'll come down to meet you. Staff members and other um, of our church leaders will be down here to pray over you, to pray Jesus into the center of your marriage. If you're a single person, we want to pray with you that Jesus is the center of your life. A young man stopped me. 
um, on the way out. He, he's from Costa Rica, so a little hesitant to come to the front. But I prayed with him, single guy. Um, it, it, I talked to a husband and wife in the last service who have never been immersed, and I was just real with them. Being baptized, buried with Christ, and raised up with him is the first step to making Jesus the center of your life. But some of you guys have been baptized, and you've just drifted, or you've just elbowed him off the throne, and, and, and now you know the only, thing, only right thing, only best thing is to get Jesus back at the center of your lives, and we want to help you with that. It is a spiritual thing. Sometimes you you got to say the sin. Sometimes you've got to say, no more. I, I want, want to be better. With God's help, I can be better. I want Jesus at the center of my life. So I'm going to pray over you all, and then I'm going to invite you to come to the front. And we will pray with you for Jesus to be the center of your marriage, for Jesus to be the center of your singleness. We are ready for baptism if you want to take the first step in making Jesus the center of your lives. So, would you bow with me, please? Heavenly Father, this is something that you suggested that I do this week, and so I'm just doing what you said to do, at least as I understood it. So would you send your Holy Spirit upon this room, Lord? And Lord Jesus, would you come to the front? Holy Spirit, move over every heart in this room convicting each of us of our need to have Jesus at the center of our lives. Jesus be at the front to receive people who come for their marriage, for their singleness. Jesus be glorified. Jesus be glorified. We honor you, Jesus. Be glorified in our midst now. In your name we pray, amen. I'll come down here. I'll meet you right down here. Please come. Thank you so much for listening to the Central Wired Podcast. Be sure to stay connected with us at centralwire.com and have a great week.